If you have been here this year, you know that we began this year with a theme. I don't do that all the time, so that's not some little gimmick that I came up with, and I do it every year. It's just not who I am, but I really believe that God deposited this word into my spirit, and now I see what's happening. Now that we're five months into this year, almost on month six, I can see exactly what he was doing, and and I see that he has been laying the foundation, and let's talk about that for a moment before I jump into this week's message and, and begin this sermon series. If you were here for the series Flesh Wounds, you, you know that sometimes it takes an extended period of exposure for me to get to you a message that God is trying to put into your spirit. Well, un, unhindered, unhindered is going to be that kind of message. I'm not going to be able to get this to you in a week or two. As a matter of fact, I'm already looking at probably the entirety of the summer is going to take for me to get to you what God wants to speak to you about this, this word, unhindered. Every week is going to have a different, uh, a different title and a different topic, but it's all going to be pursuing this idea of Job 42 and 2. You, you've seen it many times, but we're going to start probably every service by reading it together. Job 42 and 2. I know that you can do how much? All things. And that no purpose of yours can be hindered. This, this is the idea that has been birthed in me. And flesh wounds led into this, this idea of being unhindered. And, and, and that was very personal. If you were here for that series, we talked about things like strongholds and bondages and yokes. And we talked about things that were very personal. Now we're going to get more into the spiritual. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to be talking about things like increasing your prayer life. Increasing your faith. And I'm going to be walking along with you because the longer I've worked on this series, the more I've realized how hindered I am. Life kicks you around. I don't, I don't know if you've lived enough days to figure that out yet, but life's not easy. And it seems to be getting harder all the time. And we claim we believe things that because of life kicking us around, sometimes we forget what it is we claim we believe. And one of the hindrances that we're going to deal with is our faith. So, so I'm going to take, take big, long, wide views of what faith really is. Because we've shouted about it and we sing songs about it. But I wonder sometimes if we ever just sit down and evaluate how much faith we really have. Because I'm going to be honest, and the longer I've worked on this, the more I realize my faith has been hindered. Because of things that I've seen and things that I haven't seen. So I preach things and I say things and I sing things and I even pray things that I'm not necessarily positive, I believe, to the degree I need to. And I'm hindered. So, so, so this, week's, this week is going to be, again, every week we're going to just lay another foundational block. And I wrestled with the idea of how to begin this series. 
And then it finally came to me. The Bible says that the fear of God is where wisdom starts. That, that if you don't understand who God is, you'll never have wisdom operating in your life. Because you're constantly going to be leaning on things that are not able to meet your problem. See, in the world we live in, we're taught that emotions matter a great deal. Ideas, feelings are very important. And you're not ever supposed to say anything or do anything to offend anybody else or hurt their feelings because feelings are the most important things in the world. And if you go around believing that, living like that, you constantly live with offense and anger and on edge, and always looking for a reason to explode or to shirk back and just say, well, the world hurts. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that if you're going to live a life of wisdom, the first place you start is by having a good, healthy fear of who God is. Understanding who He is. So that's where I'm going to begin this series. We're going to start... This week, talking about keep it in context. Okay? Keep it in context. I'm going to begin with the book of Genesis. That's a good place to start. Genesis means the beginning. But I'm not going to begin, I'm not going to begin in the beginning. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to start with verse 1. This is a story that some of you may never have heard, but you've probably heard the reference before. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Ha have, you, have you ever been asked, or maybe you have asked the question, where did all the different races come from? Where, where, how come people speak different languages in different parts of the world? How come some people are dark-skinned or light-skinned or has a yellow tone to their skin? Or have, have, have you ever asked that or, or been asked that? Well, right here is the answer. It happened right here. Verse 2 says, As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves and a tower that reaches into the sky. One translation puts it like this, a tower that reaches into heaven. Okay, they want to build a tower that reaches into heaven. This will, pay attention to what they say here, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. That was the two reasons that they wanted to build this tower that reaches into heaven. Verse 5 says, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Now listen to what God says. Look, He said, the people are what? So God wants us united. God understands the power of unity. There's a power that comes with unity that does not come with any other thing. Look what it says. The people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. In other words, if you can ever get together and talk the same language, 
nothing is impossible. Is there any reason now that you understand why the world is so chaotic? Why are they always trying to get you angry with each other? Why are they always trying to get us pitted against each other? Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, man, woman, black, white. Does it make sense now? Because they know what God knows. That if we ever get together and say the same stuff and agree together and work together, nothing is impossible. You want to know what hinders God? It's not God. It's when his vessels refuse to allow him to work through a unified vessel. That's the first lesson in this series. So God says in verse 7, come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel. Because it is there that the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So I'm going to begin by teaching you something, and I'm going to try not to make it as dry as my college professor made it for me. When you study the Bible, there's something called systematic theology. And we're taught in systematic theology that there are ten different theologies in your Bible. I'll give you an example of about six. For instance, angelology would be the study of what do you think? Hey, you're smart. Look at you theologians. Christology would be the study of what? Christ. Listen at you. You guys are getting an A so far. Ecclesiology would be the study of the church. Uh-huh. They're getting a little tougher now. Eschatology, some of you probably know, is the study of the end times. And then you've got hamartiology. You didn't know that. That's the study of sin. Hamartiology. Doesn't that sound like sin? You take, leave it up to theologians to take a little word like S-I-N and turn it into hamartiology. Okay? <laughs> Only theologians can do that. That's the study of sin. But above all of these ten areas of theology is something called theology proper. And theology proper is when you study the character of God. In other words, it is when you decide, I don't want to just know about God. I want to know who He is. Because what good does it do to have theological training if we fail to understand the God that it is written about? Some churches, and I'm not going to cast dispersions on them, some churches only teach you theology. They don't teach you that you can know the God of the Bible. They only teach you that you can know the Bible. But I don't want a God that is at a distance from me. I want a God that is personal to me. I, I want a God that I can gain not just knowledge of who He is, but an intimate uh, intimacy about who His presence looks like. Somebody say Amen. So what good are church services? What, what good are the songs we sing and the prayers that we pray if we fail to connect who we are with the heart of the God that we're singing about and praying to? And it's a shame to say it, but a great many people call themselves Christians and they know Scripture, but they barely know God. And, and if you want to break theology proper down, it can be simply described like this. Say, God is. Theology proper is basically the God is statements. 
Let me give you a few. God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. Doesn't matter what. What is our scripture text? That nothing is impossible for God. Nowhere in that text did Job say nothing was impossible for you. Or nothing was impossible for me. What we start out believing is nothing is impossible for him. God is omnipotent. And and this is going to be very important in the coming weeks when we start talking about prayer. God is sovereign. That means God is God all by himself. He does not have board meetings to decide his will. What God wants to do, God does. He is not into uh, having to consult with you or I. You say, how does that fit into prayer? Come back in a few weeks. Because, yes, we believe prayer changes things. But at the same time, we serve a sovereign God. God is sovereign. How about this one? God is, and we forgot this in 2023, God is still holy. And, and, And when I say that, I don't mean God is trying to be holy. I mean God is completely holy. That means that when God comes into the life of a person, he brings holiness with him. That you can't, oh my, I don't want to get too sidetracked, and I know this is a generation that don't believe this anymore, but you can't claim to serve the Lord and not live a holy lifestyle. This is, oh, this is going to get me canceled. Good thing I'm not online today. But we got far too many people trying to claim that they have a relationship with God, but they have no idea about holiness or a desire to live in holiness. But I'm here to tell you that when you say yes to Jesus, you say no to a whole lot of stuff that is unholy. God is holy. God is light. The Bible says in the book of James, he is light, and in him there is no shadow of turning. That means anytime darkness gets close to me, I don't have to rebuke the darkness. All I got to do is let the light shine, and light pierces the darkness. We spend so much of our time, and again, I don't want to get too sidetracked because this is a sermon in this series that's coming a little later. We spend so much of our time fighting and rebuking things that are not our equal. They're not your equal. Why do you spend three hours rebuking devils that aren't on your level? They're not on your level. You are fighting and wrestling against principalities that are not equal to you because what lives on the inside of you used to live in heaven, and it has power and authority and dominion over these things. You don't have to fight it. You just have to unleash what's inside of you. God is light. I have that light living on the inside of me. That's why you've got to get hidden in God. Because when you get hidden in God, darkness can't come near you. But when you're sleeping with dark, when you're bringing dark home with you from church service, when you're searching for dark on the internet, that's why you're fighting stuff. Because you're hiding in it instead of in light. But when I find that light... The Bible says that when he arises, his enemies scatter. That means when I hide in light, the enemy can't look for me, but he can't even find me. He can't locate me because he's not coming and picking a fight with my father to get to me. Do you understand? The closer I get to him, the more I have to, the less I have to worry about fighting the enemy. God is a spirit, 
Bible says that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in, uh-huh. But perhaps the one that is most well-known and has gotten the church in most trouble in this generation is God is love. He is. There's nothing about God that's not lovely. And, and, and let, me, let me give you the full expression of his love. He doesn't try to love. He's not finding love. He doesn't fall into love. He just is love. The essence of who God is, is love. To get close to God means I am immersed in love. That's why when I get close to God, it doesn't matter who don't love me. It doesn't matter who walks out of my life. Because when I'm immersed in His love, they can pack their bags and leave. And I won't miss a beat because I have got His limitless love that is shining into my life. If you ever mess around and get close to God, you will find all the love that you have been looking in the wrong places for. God is Love. His love knows no limits. It knows no bounds. It reaches past all your issues. This is not my main sermon this morning. I haven't even got to context yet. But I feel like I should probably put a pin in something for you. Because most of us don't understand what love looks like. If you've been around me any time at all, you have seen and heard in the past, I have taught on the different kinds of love that are in the Bible. There's an Eros love. That's the one that gets you in trouble. That's the one that makes your heart go pity pat, pity pat, pity pat. That's the one that when you look at them, you say, mm. and when you get married based off that, <laughs> it's a wild ride for about 15 minutes. And then you realize that there was some stuff you was blinded to. Y'all not going to help me. It got quiet in here all of a sudden. That's eros. That's the emotional love. There's phileo. Some people get married because they're best friends. They, they're, they, that's my best friend. And it, it's great to start there. You should be friends with the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Because it's a long sled ride if you don't like them. Some of y'all amen too hard right there. You should like the person you married. That's phileo love. But, but that's not enough. There's agape. That's when you look at a person and you see them with the love of God. That's when you look past their flaws. That is when you are able to look at them the way God looks at them. And it says it doesn't matter if they're a crack addict because Jesus died for them too. And it doesn't matter what their past looks like because Jesus died for them too. Some of you could be struggling with something on Sunday that I am preaching on. And I, I, what I want you to understand is God loves you so much that the reason he had me preach on it was because he loved you. And he wanted to touch you and minister to you right where you are. He did not wait until somebody else else was in your seat. He spoke to you directly because he loves you with a love. He doesn't wait for you to get cleaned up. He doesn't wait for you to get past all your issues. He doesn't wait for you to get out of your mess. He loves you right where you are and he'll step over all your mess just to hold your hand and say, I love you. People, people judge you by who you are. God judges you by who you could be. 
if you would just open yourself up and allow his love into you. As a matter of fact, I wonder, I wonder if there's anybody in this room that could testify that you are a product of God's limitless love. Oh, is that all you got? I, I said, where, where's all my real folks at? The ones that know you wouldn't be here had it not been for the Lord that was on your side. Eh? Where's all the folks in here that, that doesn't matter what mama said or what daddy did to you, that you understand that God loved you through all your mess, all your confusion. You came out of perversion because he loved you. You came out of drug addiction because he loved you. You shed stuff because God loved you. That no matter how bad you felt about who you was, God never made you feel bad. God's love is a radical love. Because it's the kind of love that says, so? You, you ever been so in love with somebody that when everybody else was looking at them, they was going, you sure? I mean, he got three teeth and a crooked eye. And you ever going, so? You ever been so in love with somebody that everybody else could see stuff that you couldn't see? We call it being love blind. I got news for you. God doesn't overlook your stuff, but he is so crazy in love with you that when people like the accuser points at you and says, look at what they've done, God says, oh, you don't believe me? Then you haven't read your Bible. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. That means when the love of God shows up in your life, it looks at everything that you're not yet, and it says, so? You say, God, I'm not qualified. So? God, I messed up today. So? God, I'm not perfect. So? God, my mama didn't love me right. So? My daddy molested me. So? I used to be a drug addict. So? I have sexual perversion in my past. So? It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters who you are, and it matters what I can do in your life if you'll just... Doesn't matter who your mama was, doesn't matter what your daddy did. All that matters is do you know who I am? What I can do in your life. These people at Babel who built this big tower, they never studied theology. Okay? They built the, did you read what I read? They built the tower for two reasons. One was so they wouldn't get scattered around the world, and two, to make themselves famous. One translation puts it like this. We want to make a name for ourselves. They want to be TikTok influencers. Why do you think that they were worried about being scattered? I'll give you the answer. Back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, a man named Noah came off of a boat. You may have heard the story. God told Noah to replenish the earth and scatter. God's will. He is sovereign. God's will was for people to scatter. People thought they knew better than God. They were wrong. Whenever you feel like you're smarter than God, you're always wrong. The people thought, we don't want to scatter. We want to stay close by. This is my... These are my peeps. 
These are my ride or dies, baby. Why am I leaving? God says you're going to leave because you're not going to be able to understand each other. God understood that if everybody on the face of the planet stayed in one place, they would overwork the land. The land wouldn't be able to produce enough food. There wouldn't be enough houses. He had to scatter them, not to mention God's will is for His glory to cover the earth. Like the waters cover the sea. It was God's sovereign will. So God did something about man's will because they were trying to encroach on God's will. Put a pin in that because in several weeks that's going to be very important when I start talking about prayer. There's a second interesting observation regarding their desire to be famous. They were selfish. They wanted people to look at their tower and say, Wow, look what they did. Understand something. God does not care if you become popular. He's not even holding you back from becoming popular. His problem is when you want to become popular for the wrong reasons. If you don't believe me, read the next chapter. Genesis 12 and 2, God hand-selects a man named Abram. And in that verse, he says, Abram, I will make you famous. I'll give you everything that's hidden in your heart. I'll give you a family that is so plentiful as the sand on the sea and the stars in the skies. So God's problem is not with people becoming popular. God's problem is when popularity means more to you than he does. So, so, so I learned three things from the Tower of Babel. I'm going to share them with you. I'm going to try to go through them real quickly. Number one, our focus needs to be on making him famous. If you want to live an unhindered life, I've got so much I want to share, and I can't give you 47 sermons on Sunday number one. When you're praying for someone who has cancer, and you want cancer to be healed, what's your motivation? Is it to make Jesus famous? Or is it so you can leave and say, I prayed cancer Hey, you're not dealing with a novice. I've been around this for a long time. I've known people's personalities, and I've done it myself. Why, when you pray for your lost children, why do you want them saved? Because of their soul or to make you look better? If you're mad at me already, we're, we're in for a long, hard month. Listen, when you pray for your drunk husband, when you pray for your nagging wife, and you pray for them to get saved, why do you want them saved? Because it means more to you for their soul to be in heaven or just to get them off your back to make your life easier. What's the motivation? Because the motivation here was that they wanted to make a name for themselves, but you and I need to be trying to make God famous. Another way to put it is this. We need to give God the glory. We need to give God the credit for everything. Then he will give you the fame he wants you to have. 
Why did we move to Weirton? Why did we need a bigger building? It was because we outgrew the one we were in. We weren't just wanting to make a name for ourselves. And what happened was once we started filling this place with praises and we started filling this place with glory, then our name started being known in the community. But if we just bought a billboard, our name might be out. But if we're not making him famous, it won't accomplish anything. We spent a lot of time evaluating everybody else. But please note that you aren't responsible for anybody else. You are responsible for you. And the people that make the most improvements in, the li- in their lives are the ones that will honestly evaluate themselves. You will not go far with God if you're not an honest evaluator of yourself. <laughs> because you will lie to you. You will tell you, I can handle it. You'll go to the buffet and say, I can handle it. And then when you unbutton in your pants, you realize that was a mistake. I could not handle it. Father, forgive me. I have sinned. You will always tell yourself you can handle things that God himself has already told you you can't. You, you, will, always, you will always try to bargain with things that God doesn't want you to touch. And if you don't know you well enough to avoid things... Why do you think the Lord leads you? The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me how? Where does he lead you? Beside still waters. Why do you think he leads you beside still waters? Because he wants you to be able to look down and see yourself. He wants you to look into still waters and see a reflection. How you really are. You do not see a reflection in running water, in troubled water. You only see your reflection when you look into still water and I don't know if you understand it or not, but he really wants you to see the good, the bad, and the U-G-L-Y in yourself. Because it's only when you see your limitations that you will start working on the problems you have. Some of y'all say, well, I have accountability partners. Do you? Do you, though? Because some of y'all have accomplishments, acquaintances. Some of you just got some folks... That back your play. People have come to me through the years and said, I want you to be my spiritual father. I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because I will look you dead in your eye and tell you you are as wrong as two left shoes. I am not. No, no, no. I ain't one to play with. If I'm going to put my name on something, you better believe that thing's going to live up to, the, to its potential. If I call you and I can't get a hold of you on Friday night, for four hours and then you caught me groggy on Saturday, we're done. Because you're not playing, you're, you're playing and I ain't trying to play. If you want me to be your spiritual father, I'm going to tell you, you can't date them. I'm going to tell you, you can't spend that. I'm going to tell you things because I see things in you that you don't want to. See, see some of y'all say y'all have accountability partners when really all they are is accomplices. Some of y'all got friends that will lie to you just like a rug. They'll tell you, girl, that looks good. You see what I see? Because there's a whole lot of biscuits coming out of that can. You ever went somewhere and looked at somebody and thought, don't they have a friend? Didn't nobody check their fit before they left the house? Nobody? Did everybody in their life tell them that looked good? 
Some of y'all have friends that will back your play. They'll tell you, and they'll just keep feeding your insecurity and feeding your rebellion. They will feed all of your sins that you agree with, and so they agree with it. Why do you think they, y'all found each other? Well, I found my accountability bar at the other end of the bar. I bet you did. I got to move on. Second thing I learned from the Tower of Babel is there is strength in unity. Listen, COVID did a lot of things that we don't talk about. And one of the things that COVID did was it separated us. And, and it changed people's mindsets about how important it is to gather. I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about people don't even want to go back to work. Because they don't want we we've lost the, the instinct to gather. The devil did that. I, listen, I, 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 I don't care what the doctors, I don't care about the, the I, I, before the vaccine, that, that's got nothing. I'm talking about the spiritual aspect. The devil took a very real human thing, turned it into a spiritual victory for him. Because what he did was he got families to the point where we don't think about gathering anymore. He got workers to the point where we don't think about gathering anymore. And he got church people where we don't think about gathering anymore. Men, even if you don't like golf, you might want to consider playing golf today. Because some of you don't know how close you are to suicide. Some of you don't know how close you are to leaving your wife for that thing at work. Some of you don't know how close you are to slapping one of your kids. You don't think you are, but you're right on the verge. And God has put you and positioned you in a place where you can get around brothers that will pray for you and help you. And and you're just going to slough it off and say, no, I don't need that. I'm here to tell you, you do need that. There is strength in unity. Listen to what God said. Verse 6. The people are united and they all speak the same language. When's the last time that happened? When's the last time that happened? It's always the Democrats against the Republicans. Nobody speaks the same language anymore. It's the men against the women. It's the old against the young. It's this race against that race. Are you seeing a theme? Because the devil learned a lesson from God. God said, if I don't want the people to accomplish what what they're capable of, I'll confuse their language. The devil learned a lesson from what God did. And he confused the language. And the longer I have watched people get confused and start spewing venom at each other, there's no unity. And where there is no unity, there is curses. Unity brings strength. Disunity brings curses. Now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer for the rest of this series, and maybe some of you may not want to come back. Do you see this book? This has to be the highest authority in your life. In order for what I'm going to be preaching in the rest of this series, if this book is not the highest authority in your life, then you will not agree with what I'm going to be saying. If your feelings or the Constitution or some document from work, or what the union boss says, or what your mama taught you, if that's the highest authority, or my life experience, if that is the authority that you hold on to and cling to above all else, your own wisdom, 
If that's what's guiding you, you won't agree with the rest of this sermon series. Because I'm going to be telling you that what this book says is the only way you'll live unhindered. If you do not apply what is in this book, and sometimes applying what's in this book hurts. Oh man, I'm telling you, and I don't mean a 40-day fast. I've had to get rid of some stuff in my life that I still to this day don't know why I had to get rid of it. Y'all not going to help me. There, unity is not just with each other. Unity has to be you and God. Unity brings power. Disunity brings curses. And if you don't get unified with what thus saith the Lord, you're always going to have a hindrance in your life. That's Look at the people that are in your life and how confused they are. How, 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 how aimlessly that they're, going to, they're going to college for this and then they're going to drop out and then they're going to go work in real estate and then they're going to get out of real estate and they're going to go be a welder and then they're, they're going to, then they're going to, then they're going to be a deep sea fisherman and they're going to captain their own boat and then they're going to fly to Mars and they're going to, they're blown about by every wind of doctrine because they don't understand that unity brings power and a sound mind means that I am fixed on one thing. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. But one of the realities of this series is going to be this. You cannot pray effectively for anybody that you don't care about. I have heard Christian people that were bigots. Use phrases like those people. I'm in it. I might as well get all the way in it. I, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm down here because I want you to know me and Holy Ghost ain't scared of none of you. We don't skip pages in this book. You cannot pray effectively for anybody you don't care about. And somebody under the sound of my voice in a crowd this big, you don't like them people. Now, I don't know what them people are. That's between you and your heart. But most of us have got a them people. Until we come to the understanding that all them people are his people. And we need to appreciate them for who they are. So let me just lay it all out there for you. Some of you can't pray effectively because somebody's skin color is a different melanin than yours. And you say, them people. And it could be either way. It could be me praying for her, her praying for me. But if I don't appreciate who they are, even though they don't look like me, I can't pray effectively for them. Some of you don't like somebody because of their political leanings. And you're not praying effectively 
for at least 51% of this country. Can I tell you, Jesus died for Democrats? I know Republicans feel like they got the market cornered on godliness, which is a joke in and of itself. Some of you can't pray effectively for people because they like people of the same sex. Oh, it's quiet in this mortuary, but I ain't scared of none of you. And you can't pray past their drug addiction. You can't pray past their homosexuality tendencies. You can't pray past the fact that they like to tear it up on Saturday night. You can't pray effectively for them because you don't agree with them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't care whether the person who prayed for you agreed with your lifestyle and he loved you and saved you anyway? Racism of the devil, bigotry of the devil, per, uh, any kind of prejudices of the devil because it keeps us from becoming unified. And where unity is, there's strength. And we're hindered when we, when we judge people higher than we were judged. Now that I made you mad, let me give you number three. If you know what God wants, quit fighting it. Listen, none of us can stop God. It is better for you to realize you can't stop Him and go along with Him willingly. Because the problem we have is that we can't do the thing God wants if we don't see things the way God sees them. Yeah, I've made you upset now. Your expectations will collide with your reality. What you see is going to collide with what this word tells you is possible. This book tells you nothing that God plans can be hindered. And yet in your world, is everybody well? Is everybody free? Your reality is going to collide with your expectation, and that's the problem we have. Because context... Is important. Can, can I close with a couple of thoughts? Or are you already mad at me? Some of us need to learn a lesson about context because not everything is dram as dramatic as you make it out to be. Hannah tells me all the time that I'm extra. And usually that means that I am uh, joking around with her and giving her a hard time because she wants to go somewhere or buy something. And she says, Dad... You're being so extra. But truthfully, for real, some of y'all are extra. Because you wake up in the morning and there's a pain right here and you say it's probably pancreatic cancer. You're you being a little extra. You, got, <laughs> you text your kid 27 seconds later, they haven't got back to you. In your mind, they're in a ditch. The car's on fire. You're calling 911. Friend locator, friend locator, friend lo Refresh, refresh. <laughs> huh? Somebody in the donut room this morning, you walked in, and the person that you always smile at didn't smile at you with the same smile that they smiled at you last Sunday. So now in your mind, you done made up this whole scenario 
where they have been joking behind your back calling you Fatty McStuffins. And in your mind, you've made up this whole series of all the people in that room has been joking and messing with you on Sundays and now you don't want to go eat no donuts because people have been making fun of you. You form whole conclusions based on inaccurate context. And one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons you got to get, you got to be real careful getting caught up in politics in the day and age we live in because nobody reports facts. They take things out of context and they spin it to tell a story because that makes you tune in. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, they will pander to you to get your eyes glued to the television set. And, and, and that's how sin was introduced to the world. The devil didn't make up his own doctrine. He just took God's word out of context, gave it to Eve in a way that God did not give it to her because he knows that he can divorce you from your destiny if he can get you thinking about God's word out of context. Uh-huh. If you've got the right context, you'll understand people. Can I help you? If you've got the right context, you'll understand why people act the way they do. People look at me, and I listen, I just came back from vacation. It's the first vacation I've ever taken since I became a pastor that I didn't work. I answered some texts and some messages, but I didn't work on a sermon. I, first one I've ever taken. And people have looked at me for years and said, why do you do that to yourself? Why don't you take time off? Listen, I come to work when I'm sick. I don't take vacation days very often. And even when I go on vacation, I would work. And people that don't understand my context, they don't know why I work the way I work. And it's because I was raised in poverty. And I've decided that I'm going to do whatever I have to do to never go back to that lifestyle again. And so I, outwork, and I don't outwork people to brag on myself or make them feel bad about themselves. I do it because in my mind, that's the only way I can rationalize where I am in life. So I work weekends and I stay late. And it's not to make anybody else work bad. But you'll never understand that level of commitment unless you understand my context. Listen, you'll never understand why some people celebrate the way they do without context. You ever saw some kid open a Christmas present and you could tell it wasn't what they wanted? They open that thing and they throw it and they say, where's the next one? I, every one of us has seen that, right? You take that same present that that spoiled kid had and didn't want and take it to that kid who's living with their grandma and ain't never had a brand new toy that didn't come from the Goodwill or didn't come from the thrift store and that kid will cry over a present that the other kid threw away. Context. Context. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying this to build myself up. It's many years past. It's, well, it's way over. But me and a couple of men that were in this congregation, we bought a sister a car one time. She was in this church. She's still in this church. She's still in this room. She had a bunch of kids. Her car was breaking down. And me and a couple of guys bought her a car. Most of you wouldn't have drove that car. She cried over that car. Context. Because even though it's something you wouldn't have wanted, you, she got her hands up. She ashamed of it. She's she in the back. Context. Context. See, see, see. 
See, you don't understand Jenny Hill. You don't understand her praise. You don't understand why when, when you're out here and you're bored, we're singing songs of worship and praise, you're hearing the message and you're sitting there bored and she's got tears coming down her face. She's laying prostrate on her face before the Lord because context tells you if you knew that she didn't think she'd make it to 30, if she knew that she would be sitting in church giving God praise instead of being in a jail cell or up under a bridge with a needle in her context context you need to keep things in context because while you're getting bored somebody's getting their praise on because of context maybe this is why the Lord had me preach this message because somebody needs to learn how to put him in context because if you put your life in context you will celebrate crazy kids because somebody don't have their kid anymore. Man, it's quiet in here. Context keeps me sane because I'll celebrate my kid in rehab because some of you have lost your babies and they didn't get that. They didn't get that chance. See, some of y'all... Every time you get busy turning a wrench, putting a load of clothes in the dryer, making dinner, mowing the grass, you look down at your phone, you're like, again? Your mom always, your mom always calls at the most inconvenient times. Your kid, your husband, your wife, they always call when you're in the middle of something. Context. Somebody would love to pick their phone up and call their mama. There's a lot of folks in this room that regrets every single time they went to do this when their mama called. Because now they would give anything to be able to pick their phone up and call their mama or their spouse. Some of you take advantage of... The fact that your spouse is there every day. I wish they'd go on somewhere. One day they will. Context. And when you're sitting in an empty house, looking at them four walls, you'll wish somebody was there aggravating you again. Context. And the reason I bring all that to your attention is to this: to tell you this. We will treat people better when we put their conflict in proper context. You should stop judging that single mother because she didn't make the same choices you made because she didn't have the help you had. Context. I hear people say things all the time. The older I've gotten, I've realized how foolish we sound because my oldest daughter was little. Alyssa was little. And I was giving people with teenagers advice. Sorry, I had a stroke for a second. I had plenty of advice. You know what I didn't have? Context. Because I realized that I had done great parenting when all I had to do was change diapers. Hello? I had changed diapers. I had potty trained. We had did the first day of school. 
you know, all the hard stuff. But what I realized in context was it is easier to keep a toddler alive than to not kill a teenager. Context. Uh-huh. I hear people say stuff all the time, like, if I had their money, you don't. You have no idea what you would do with that money if you had it. You're not even in that tax bracket. You don't even know where them people shop for clothes. Well, if I, if I was the boss of this place, you're not. And little do you know that when you clock out and go home and leave the job, they got to stay there and do four hours of paperwork, and you don't know anything about that because you get to leave the job behind. Context. Not only that, but have you ever, forgot, you ever found somebody in your life that forgets the context of history? You know, you've been there for them for 20 years, and the one time you're... The one time you say no or the one time you let them down, the one time you couldn't meet their expectation, they forget 20 years of faithfulness. Context. You need to understand people context because you will never care for people. The Bible says if you're faithful with a little, you'll be given much. And I wonder what little things in your life you're overlooking. Because you haven't kept things in context. You need to keep God in context. I can gauge mine and your relationship based on how you address me. If you say, Albert Lewis Mitchum, you're one of two people. One is my mother and she's dead. If you're using Albert Lewis Mitchum now, you're probably from the government. If you call me Mr. Mitchum, I'm probably waiting in your waiting room so you can scan me. Or you're trying to sell me something on a car lot, Mr. Mitchum. The doctor will see you now. If you call me bishop, if you call me pastor... That means we have a certain type of relationship. I don't even have to know who you are if I'm out of Walmart and I don't recognize you. If you say, Pastor, I know where you know me from. I may not have ever seen you, met you, but you see me when I don't see you. And you may have met me in another church, but I know what context you and I have met. There's three people on this planet that call me something nobody else does. Daddy. And there's one person on this planet that calls me something none of y'all better call me. Because she calls me babe. <laughs> and that's only appropriate for one. They know, they know the most about me. If they call me dad, they know me better than you do. If they call me babe, they know me better than you do. And the relationship changes based on how you address us. Context. I'm going to show you a picture. I'm going to show you a couple pictures, actually. And some of the people, some of the people in this room has not put God in the proper context. See, some people see God like this. These people believe God exists. They believe He rules and He reigns. But their context is off. Because they don't believe that God is ever in a good mood. 
They think that he is a, a, cons- a cosmic judge, and their, is- their image of him is of a critic. He takes notes and keeps records on all your failures. And if they don't change their context, they're never going to have a close relationship with God because they don't think they can have a close relationship with God. When you invite people to church, have you ever heard somebody say something like, the roof would probably fall in? That's because they see God in this context. They think that they expect God to lay the hammer down at any moment. They have something bad happen in their life and immediately they think God is persecuting them. Hello? People that see God in this context, as soon as something bad happens, they say, well, God must be punishing me because they see God like this. Or maybe you see God like this, like he's a germaphobe. Some of you have put God in a context that you think you have made such a mess out of your life that God will not come close to you for anything. You feel dirty. You feel ashamed. You feel embarrassed and you don't think God could ever get close to you. These people don't blame God for the problems in their life. They blame themselves. And they usually don't like themselves. And they can't ever envision... Listen, I'm building a foundation for the next sermons here. If you can never see yourself better than you are right now, you'll never have better. If you can't see that God loves you in spite of who you in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your shortcomings, none of it took God by surprise and He loved you anyway. If you can't see that and put God in the proper context, you're always going to have what you've always been got, getting. They, these people believe God loves them, but they also believe He's disappointed in them all the time. Or maybe you see God like this. Like He's a cosmic drill sergeant. These people seem like and, and, and by the way, this used to be my image of God. That he wanted me to run faster, do more, lift heavier things. I, I had to do more, do more, do more, witness more, pray more, fast more, read more, preach more. More church, more services, more praise. I only prayed an hour today. I feel so guilty about myself. And my drill sergeant has told me, you got to do it more, you got to do it faster, you got to do it better. I, want, I love the Lord. I want to please the Lord. But the problem is, if this is your image of Him, you're out of context because you're never going to do it enough. Can I give you a hint? You're messed up. Like, for real. You're jacked up. As good as you want to do, you will eventually fail because you're flawed. And if all you ever see is your father a drill sergeant, you're going to constantly try to pick yourself back up and do it better and do it stronger and do it faster. And you will wear yourself out until you are burned out and all the way out. It's only when you put God in context and the problem then exists, some people think He's untouchable. Some people think that He is behind glass that he's too important to be bothered by our small details in life these people treat God like he's urgent care you know if they need stitches real fast or if they're feeling heart palpitations they run through urgent care but then they just get their their blessing and they shuffle on along because 
God's too busy to get caught up in their problems. The problem with seeing God behind glass is this. You don't ever think you can get to Him. These are the people that come to you when something goes wrong in their life. And they say, will you pray for me? Or they'll say, will you have your pastor pray for me? Because they don't feel like they can touch God themselves. Context. I just wonder... Because this is not my problem or your problem, it's all of our problems. I just wonder how many people are still living with God out of context. Some of you have an Old Testament relationship with God. You know what that is, don't you? In in the Old Testament, God had Moses build a tabernacle. And there was a curtain between God and people. It was literally called the veil of separation. It was 60 feet high. It was 30 feet long and 4 inches thick. And God was on one side and people were on the other. And for thousands of years, the people of God said, this is as good as it gets. Like, I can only come this far. Some of you, some of you have been living in an Old Testament relationship with God. Our first lesson of being hindered is you need to learn how to put Him in context. Because the reason that you don't get what you need is because there's a veil between where you are and where your blessing is. No matter what it is that you see God as, you don't see Him the way He wants you to see Him. Because for thousands of years, Israel thought this is as good as it gets. And they settled that this is as good as it will ever be. But God didn't settle for that. Because God doesn't want to be hid behind a veil. He wants to be your father. Because he knows that in order for you to obtain what you need, you have to be able to approach the throne boldly. You will never pray effectively if you see him like I demonstrated on this wall you'll never pray effectively if he's your judge you'll never pray effectively if he's a drill sergeant you will never have your faith at the level to see miracles happen if you believe that he is unapproachable and behind glass I've told this story before I don't know why I share it now but she ain't in here yes she is my Hannah when she was little, she would sit in the middle of her bed and play hide and seek with me. Like this. 
She didn't hide. She just covered her head up. Because she thought if I couldn't see her, if she couldn't see me. So I'd say, Hannah, let's play hide and seek. I'd find her sitting in the middle of her bed like this. And then she'd be surprised when I pulled it off. How'd you see me, Daddy? Because if she couldn't see me, she didn't think I could see her. Now, Hannah's never really gotten in a lot of trouble. She's never been to troublemaking Mitchum. That's been the rest of us. But anytime she did think she was going to be in trouble, she would also run to her room and cover up her head. And when I would come in her room to talk to her about what it was she thought she did wrong, I would take that off of her head because I want to look her in her eye. And I'm her father. And I don't, I don't want to discuss things with her with a veil between us. It's ludicrous for me to be in the room with her and be trying to talk to her, whether it was for discipline or for blessing, and be talking to her through a veil. I'm right here. Take that off so I can see you and so you can see me. And if I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, what makes you think your father don't want to walk into the room and look at you, Daddy, I'm ashamed. Daddy, I'm embarrassed. Daddy, I'm scared. Take that thing off your face. Nothing you have done has shocked him. You might be embarrassed. He's not. I haven't always had great faith. He knows. I've made some mistakes. Yep, he saw every one of them. But I haven't always believed that even God existed. He knows. But he's in the room. And he wants to see you. He's not afraid of your questions. And he's trying to get you into his presence. Because the closer you get to him, the farther you get away from fear and doubt and the problems that have held you back and hindered you. You have a loving, caring Father who is crazy about you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make your past your past so He can give you a new future. Take I wonder how many people under the sound of my voice realizes that you've had God out of context for a long time. And going into the rest of this series, you're going to need to understand who exactly God is. You're going to have to know He sees your wounds, but He loves you anyway. He has heard every criticism you've had. Well, if God is real, why did mama die? If God is real, why is this happening to our family? If he's so loving, how come? He's heard all that. And he loves you anyway. And he's here in the room. 
He said, it's time for you to take the veil off and come see how the goodness of the Lord is. So if everyone in this room would stand with me this morning. I know I preached a long time. I won't preach this long always. But I wonder how many of you have been covering up because you've had God out of context. How how many of you believe that maybe your prayers have been hindered because you just don't feel worthy of having heaven hear you? Well, I don't have it as bad as they're starving babies. I don't have it that bad. This person's got cancer. I don't have it that bad. Why would God? Let me put him in context. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to bless you. And all of the thoughts that the enemy has come to try to get him out of context with you is because he knows It hinders you. The devil knows the word better than most of you do. He knows that if we ever tap into the truth of Scripture, he won't be able to handle us. So he tries to keep us dumb and stupid to what God has said because he knows that if you don't apply the word, you stay hindered. Some of you trying to fight battles in your own flesh. He says, if you just understand that I want to trade my yoke for yours and let me do the fighting for you, you can sleep. I'm going to be up all night anyway. Let me handle your troubles. But you got him out of context. Maybe you need to reframe God this morning. Maybe you need to get a new image of who he is. And I was going to invite you up to this altar, but I just don't feel like I should. Instead, I I feel like you and your neighbor need to encourage each other. So you're standing around some people. Maybe nobody's directly around you. Maybe, Maybe there's nobody right beside of you or in front of you, but you're near somebody. Why don't you just do one simple thing? And and you don't understand, sometimes the simplest things, the simplest gestures make the biggest impacts. I want you to find about 5, 6, 10, 15 people. I want you to look them right in their eyes. Touch them on the shoulder. Grab them by the hand if they're comfortable. And I just want you to look them in the eye and tell them, God really loves you. Michelle Ensminger, God really loves you. You don't love yourself. I'm just going to read your mail here in front of everybody because that's what I do. You don't love yourself. You've battled with that self-image forever. You don't feel worthy. You always, because you're compassionate and you're caring for everybody else, you always feel like you should be down so everybody else could be up. But I got news for you. God's got enough grace for everybody. And, and, and he, don't have to, he don't have to hold somebody else down to give you a blessing. And He don't have to hold you back to give somebody else one. You're worthy. Michelle, you're worthy. He loves you. He didn't just die for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to be a blessing to you right now. He wants to bless you in your house. He wants to bless you in your heart. 
He wants to bless you in your mind. He wants you to overcome the things that have hindered you. Not just today, but for always. He wants you to walk in liberty and freedom because He loves you that way. And if you could just see yourself the way God sees you, you would run and frolic like a kid in a petunia patch because He's crazy about you. And you should just be able to see yourself like He does. And I know you don't, and it hinders you. It hinders you because you're not as effective in prayer as you could be because you don't feel like you should be the one that's blessed. But God wants you to know He wants that for you. He wants to be that intimate with you. He wants to bless you. He loves you. So I want you to find 10 or 15 people and I want you to bless them. God really, really loves you. He really really loves you. And that's going to be your altar today. Just encourage each other in the Lord. God really, really loves you.